Sometimes when I take trips, things go just like I planned. And other times, I don't plan very well. A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. I want to share a few lessons I've learned from the book of Philippians over the next couple of weeks, but since the book of Philippians is a letter, I thought it'd be helpful if we knew a little bit more about who Paul was writing to and learn a little bit more about the kind of relationship he had with these people. And so I think it would be to our advantage to take a few minutes to review the story found in Acts 16 when Paul visited Philippi for the very first time. Paul went to Philippi on his second missionary journey. But before we get to that, I want to share briefly about the second girls' trip I took with my daughter and daughters-in-law. On this trip, we went to Charleston, South Carolina. And like our other trips, I usually get input from all of us who are going and decide what are the things we want to see, what are the things we want to do, what kind of food do we want to eat, and then I start making arrangements and reservations when necessary. However, I don't always do a great job at this. On our trip to Charleston, we arrived at the Peninsula Grill one evening where we had planned to indulge in desserts and cappuccinos. As we walked in and checked in, the host told me that he didn't have any reservations for me there. I was like, what? Yes, you do. He looked again. No, I'm sorry, ma'am. We do not. And I told him our name, explained our time, as though those were the two things I hadn't said. I had said those obviously right off the bat. He looked at me very kindly and said, no, I'm sorry. We do not have that. Uh, my irritation at that point was equal to my disappointment, which was huge because I had researched the bejeebies out of Charleston, South Carolina restaurants, and the Peninsula Grill kept coming up as having the most amazing coconut cake ever. And I didn't want us to miss out. And I certainly didn't want us to miss out because it was my fault. I told them, oh, I made reservations through Open Table, and if it would help, I can show you the confirmation. They thought that sounded like a great idea, so you're welcome. I took out my phone, got to my confirmation, handed him my phone in sort of a, oh, man, well, now you're going to see and please get us seated sort of way. He looked at my phone. He looked back at me and said, uh, excuse me, ma'am, but your reservation is for tomorrow night. I was like, oh, no. Shoot, we can't come tomorrow night. Ah, do you have anything at all open tonight? We are really looking forward to your coconut cake. He graciously at that time showed us to a real open table where we later indulged in coconut cake, banana, panna cotta pudding, a chocolate marquee, seasonal creme brulee, a gelato trio, and an artisanal cheese plate to go along with our cappuccinos. And yes, if you are counting, we had five desserts between the four of us. But did you hear also about the healthy cheese plate? I'm actually including pictures on my Instagram account this week so you can zoom in on the desserts. They're it's totally worth it. They were as good as they looked. Two days later on Sunday late morning, we were walking to Hall's Chop House for their Sunday gospel brunch. I told the girls in my research, I discovered it's really hard to get seats for this. So don't worry, I got us reservations. I'm sure they felt relieved to hear me say that, what with my good track record and all. And they were proved right to be exactly as glad as they probably were. When we showed up the restaurant, 
And I said to the hostess, hi, we're here. We have reservations for four. And she looked at me and said, no, I'm sorry, you don't. And I said, oh, but yes, we do. And she said, no, I, you really don't. And I said, well, just a minute, let me get my phone out. So I got my phone out. And as I'm opening up to look, I'm thinking, oh, man, I hope I did not make the exact same mistake twice in as many days, which the good news was I did not. I made a new mistake. This time, my reservation wasn't for the next day. It was actually for the next year. Not kidding. Fortunately, the people working there were also very kind and got us a wonderful table where we enjoyed an amazing brunch as well as fabulous gospel singing. It was just a delight. Which brings me back to Paul. Not because I said gospel, but because I want us to remember that Paul was a real guy who lived in a real life, in a real time, and in a real place. And he was just going on a journey, doing what God had intended for him to do. So now I want us to look at the end of Acts 15 and 16 and see this really good story. One day, Paul decided he wanted to go on a trip. He wanted to visit places and people he had been before. He wanted to check up on how they were all doing. And so he began planning. He first mentioned this idea to his former travel companion, Barnabas, who thought it sounded like a good idea as well. And who suggested, hey, I think that's a great idea. Let's also bring along John Mark. And Paul, real Paul, says to real Barnabas, I don't want to go with John Mark. He had had a bad experience with John Mark once before. He didn't feel like giving him a second chance. Paul and Barnabas apparently argue about this and never could come to any sort of consensus. Paul felt John Mark would be unreliable again, just like he was before. And Barnabas, of course, felt differently and wanted to give him a second chance. Of course, Barnabas felt like that. Classic Barnabas. <laughs> Barnabas wasn't even that guy's real name. It was his nickname. It meant son of encouragement because he was such an encouragement. His, his real name was actually Joseph. So Paul formerly known as Saul, and Barnabas, whose real name was Joseph, said, you know what, Paul, you can do whatever you want, but I'm going to go with John Mark. And Paul said, you know what, Barnabas, you can go with John Mark, but I'm not going to go with you. And that's the way it ended up. The decision was made. Barnabas and John Mark, they sailed off to Cyprus, and Paul asked a guy named Saul to join him on his journey instead. Paul and Silas prepared for their journey. Their fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord gave them their blessing and they left. They traveled to sit through Syria and Cilicia. Paul and Silas continued on to Derby and Lystra, where the two of them met up with a guy named Timothy. Timothy had become a follower of Christ. He had a Jewish mom. He had a Greek father. His mom and grandma taught him all that he knew about Jesus and taught him well, and Timothy grew in his faith, and, and Timothy grew to consider Paul his spiritual father. He joined Paul and Silas on their journey. So now the three of them are traveling through Phrygia and Galatia. They come to Mycenae. They tried to go through Bithynia, but according to Luke 16, 7, it says the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Which here, it's not like they didn't have reservations and were turned away. Here, it was God's plan that's directing them elsewhere. We don't really know exactly how that worked. But what we do know is this. They passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. That night, Paul had a vision where a Macedonian man was standing and begging him to come to Macedonia and help him. 
After this vision, Paul immediately started planning his trip to Macedonia. He was certain that God was leading them that way. This was the kind of vision that Paul heard and knew this was God leading and directing his steps. And so from Troas, Paul, Silas, and Timothy left for the next leg of their journey, taking with them a fourth guy named Luke, who was the author of the book of Acts. We know Luke has joined them at this point because of the pronoun shift. Up to this point, he had been writing, they went, they passed by, they did this. And now suddenly we're reading, we put out to sea, we spoke with so-and-so, etc. So now these four men sailed to Samothrace, then Neapolis, where they went to Philippi, which was a Roman colony. So now they're in Philippi. It's Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke. They get to this Philippi, this Roman colony, this leading city in the district of Macedonia, and stay there for several days. We need to picture Philippi here. It's hard sometimes to picture scriptural stories and scriptural places. Actually, sometimes I have a hard time not picturing it like Flintstones or something, if you're familiar with that. But here, Philippi was a super busy metropolis. It was located on one of the busiest thoroughfares of the day called the Ignatian Way. And though it was a few miles, like about eight, from the seaport, which was Neapolis there, it was still a major place of commerce. It was a Roman colony, and as much as it was under Roman rule, but still maintained a lot of its Grecian vibe because there were many Greeks who lived there too. Most scholars agree that there was a little less than half of the population there were Romans and a little more than half of the population living in Philippi were Greeks. Also living there alongside of them were a measurable minority of Jews that had left their previous homes that they'd been forced, of course, to leave or left to seek safety and, and settled in dispersed areas. And this is where I want to pick up the rest of the story as I turn to Acts chapter 16. I'm reading now. It says, From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there, Neapolis was the, the seaport, right? We traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in a leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. I'm going to pause for a minute and say, why did they expect to see a place of prayer there by the river? My guess is that somebody told them that that's where they could find these people. Usually Paul would go and he would show up at a synagogue and he'd show up there and he would start to teach and reason through scriptures that Jesus was the Christ, the one that they were looking for. Some people say that they went down to this river because there wasn't a synagogue because tradition tells us that you need at least 10 Jewish men to make a synagogue. And they were saying perhaps that wasn't available. Some people said they went down to the river and expected to go to this place of prayer, which was actually kind of a makeshift sort of a building where people would gather to pray. Either way, they went down to the river and expected to find people there praying. And that's exactly what they found. They started speaking to the group of women who had gathered there. On the Sabbath, they went outside the city, down to the river, where expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia. She was a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. 
What was Paul's message? Paul's message was Christ. She worshiped God, but she hadn't heard of this Christ, this Messiah who had come. So Paul shares with her this message. The Lord opens her heart and she responds to this message. And she and the members of her household believed and they were baptized and she invited them to stay with her. Now, the members of a household isn't just like her sister, brother, sister-in-law shows up pretty often and the kid who moved back after he couldn't find a job. That's not what we picture when we picture the word household. The word household in Greek is oikos, just like the Greek word for yogurt there. But the word is oikos, and the household means the whole group of people that make this house work. So it includes the employees, and it includes their families, and it's a large group of people. And Lydia invites the four men who are traveling, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, to stay with her. She says, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, so what do we read when we hear that? We see once when we were going to a place of prayer, they apparently went back. And they went back again and they continued to teach and they continued to share and preach the gospel. And one time, it says in the book, one time when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. Here's someone who's being used, who's being held as a slave, who's making money for her owners. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us. Who would that be? Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, maybe the others that are heading down to the place of prayer. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for, listen, many days, many days. Oh my goodness. Have you ever heard somebody say the same thing over and over and over again? I mean, like four times you're like, okay, seriously, say something different. She kept this up for many days. They would travel to the place of prayer. And this young girl who's being used by these people who are taking money and she, as she would fortune tell for them, as she was being used, she was traveling behind them saying something that was true. These men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved, which is something that was true. But finally, Paul, after many days, becomes so troubled, he turns around and he says to the spirit in this girl, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Why would he do that? Why wouldn't he say, hey, say it louder because that's truth. He didn't want there to be confusion about which, what he was preaching. He didn't want there to be confusion about what he was saying is the way to be saved. And yeah, this girl who's commenting on it, we're in the same camp. He didn't want anyone to think that. So he turned to this girl. He releases her who is possessed by this evil spirit that's saying these things, who knows the truth. James tells us that the demons know who God is and they shudder. So he's saying this stuff. He commands the spirit to leave. And this, this girl is released from this. And someone is really mad. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they dragged and seized Paul and Silas, dragging them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Now stop for a minute. Who was there? Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, right? Yeah. 
Why did he just take Paul and Silas? Because Paul and Silas were Jewish, and there was a large feeling of anti-Semitism in this area. So he grabs Paul and Silas, takes them, drags them to face the authorities, brings them before the magistrates, and what do they say? They say, these men are Jews. They're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. You just bring them in, throw out these false charges. Why? What is their motivation for treating Paul and Silas this way? Greed. They're mad. They're so mad that these men released this girl that they had held hostage who was making money for them. They're so mad about it. They drag them before the authorities and they highlight the fact that they're Jews. And then they trump up these charges by saying to them, they're throwing our city in an uproar. They're advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or to practice. And what happens? What does the crowd do? The crowd, because a crowd is a crowd is a crowd. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Paul had an idea. His idea was to go on a journey and it was his idea was to go back and visit all the people that he had met before. He tried to get his buddy Barnabas on board, and Barnabas was on board, but he also wanted to bring John Mark. And Paul's like, yeah, how about John Mark? He can't be trusted. Paul gets Silas. They start to make plans. They go on their journey, and they go this way, and they go that way, and they go through this city, and then this city, and then this city. They decide to go in one area, but for whatever reason, the Spirit doesn't allow for it. Paul has this dream, this vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come and help us. So they direct their steps toward that way. They enter Philippi and who now has Paul met so far? Paul goes down to the river to the place of prayer where he talks with these women, where Lydia invites them into her home, which then she houses this people of believers that come and gather and learn from Paul as he teaches them. He meets with these women. He meets the slave girl and commands the spirit to leave her. He's following along a path and none of this is what he had intended and he had chosen, but all of this was what God had attended and God had chosen for him. And now in his faithful obedience, as Paul would go, as the spirit would lead, as Paul would go, as the spirit would direct, now he finds himself in the inner cell where his feet are fastened in the stocks. What would we think he would do? Ah, oh, this isn't fair. But God, look what I've done. But God, look where I went. But God, all I wanted to do was to spread your word and to preach the gospel. But God, this doesn't seem right. God, you owe me. It's not supposed to be this way. I wonder if I'm doing something wrong. Why are things ending up like this? I must be messing something up. Is that what he does? We're going to pick this up next week and see what Paul does. What is his response? After traveling and being faithful and now being stuck in the inner cell with his feet fastened in stocks. Thank you, God, that you give us your word that is full of these good stories and this good story about you and your faithfulness. 
Thank you that we can rely on you. Thank you for Acts chapter 16. And thank you that we can see what happens next as we pick this up again next week. 